Well, today we're going to be looking at um, some lessons from Moses and Joshua. I'm the old guy on the block, so I'm Moses. And uh, seated behind me is a young man, <laughs> Joshua, and we have water because we spent 80 years in a desert. So, Folks, I want you to imagine with me that we go back in time 3,500 years ago. And there we are in the city of Ramses, not too far from Lexor, Egypt. And there we see a chariot coming down those cities, and it's gold. And inside that chariot is Akhenati, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And right beside him, standing in the same chariot, is Moses, 40 years of age. Akhenati was one of the most wealthiest civilizations or pharaohs ever. They figure about $4 trillion. And in that Akhenati never had a son, the next in line was the crown prince, Moses. Everything from Akhenati, if time would have went on like he wanted, Moses would have probably been the next pharaoh. But Moses at first <clears throat> was born under a death sentence. In fact, he was supposed to be thrown into the river of death, the Nile. The Pharaoh was so upset that the Israelites were multiplying so fast that he put out an edict that all male Israelite boys be thrown into the river of death. Well, we know how the story goes. This little beautiful baby was put in a little basket in the Nile, and there Pharaoh's daughter came and took him after the mother weaned him, took her in, and she became, he became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Wow. The Bible says in Acts 7 and 22 that he was raised in all the wisdom of Egypt, he had the best of the best. It doesn't matter if you're talking about astrology or astronomy or mathematics. He had the best. And he had fingers that could go anywhere to any pleasure, anything, because he was in line to be a Pharaoh. And then one day, that same Moses at age 40, he saw an Egyptian beating up on one of the Israelite people, his relation. The Bible says that he killed him that day and buried him in the sand. And because of Pharaoh getting ready to find out about it, Moses knew he needed to be on the run. So for the next 40 years, he went from a hero to a zero, and he spent 40 years in the Midian Desert. <clears throat> 40 years in the palace, 40 years now in the desert. In the middle of that desert, the Bible says in Exodus, there was a bush that was burning. And it was Christ. It was God. And he says, Moses, I want you to go lead the people of Israel out, three million of them. And I want you to take them to the promised land. And after arguing a while, he 
finally submitted to that. And the greatest redemptive event in the Old Testament took place in Exodus through Moses. Forty years having everything that the world had to offer. Forty years learning humility in a desert. And then 40 years submitting to the Father in heaven and taking this staff and leading the people of Israel on a merry-go-round for 40 years. Wow. And I would like to condense as we look at some verses written about him in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. And we will grab a couple lessons from him before we hand off the baton to Joshua. And we read, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, where he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses made the Hall of Fame. And I just want to mention something real quick here, by the way. Um, all of these dynamic duos that we've had the privilege of hearing about and the lessons from them. Uh, we well, Paul and Barnabas, David and Jonathan, Adam, and then Christ who is God. Today, Moses and Joshua, and Lord willing, Elisha and Elijah next week. All of these men would be the who's who on anybody's list. But what about us? We might make the who's that list. And yet there is proof in the word of God that he'll, he'll take a who's that and he'll work a miracle. If God took a dirty dozen and he turned the world upside down with 12 men, then he can take people that are seated here and he can turn this community and this nation upside down with your life. You don't have to make it into the Hebrew 11 Hall of Fame. God's looking for a yielded heart. You ever heard of Pua? That's not a household name. There wouldn't be a Moses without a Pua. She was the midwife. She's the one that saved him out of the basket. You ever heard of Tychicus? Nobody here named Tychicus. He's the one that carried all the letters for Paul and Trophimus and Tychicus to all the churches in Asia. They got the letters because of Tychicus. You ever heard of Uz and Buzz? That's weird twins, isn't it? But they're in the Bible, Genesis 22. Uz and Buzz. You ever heard of Dodo? Any Dodos here? Well, there's two of them in the Bible. 
dodos. Second Samuel 23 said that they were the sons of the mighty warriors of David. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about Shamgar or Zenus or Uzzenbuzz or these are just normal people on the who's that list that God used them as vessels of honor to give him great glory. So he wants to do the same with you and I. Well, let's look at Moses. Look at verse 24 again. Moses made a great choice. By faith, Moses when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. <clears throat> Joshua remembered the choice that Moses made that day. In fact, all the choices that Moses made in the desert Joshua was watching. And he says, I will choose to be with the people of God rather than the four trillion and all the pleasures of Egypt. What would your choice be? If you had a billion dollars up here and any place you wanted to live in Las Vegas or to suffer with the body of Christ, what would your choice be? You know what? <clears throat> We're all growing older. And how much of us are growing up? The Bible says it right here with Moses. And when he had grown up, folks, the Bible's very clear about that for all of us. He doesn't want us to stay on milk. He wants us to grow up. He says that in Ephesians 4 and 15. We are to grow up in all the aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what your age is. And if you're born again, hallelujah. But how many of us here need to maybe grow up? Moses made the choice. But see, sin... Is fun. Bible says there's pleasure in it. But every sinful kick has a kickback. Every one of them. Bible says that a man will reap what he sows. I have been a pastor for 40 years. I have never had anybody come into our home or my office and say something like this. I am so glad I had all those adulterous relationships. I am so thankful that I fornicated my way all the way through college. I am so grateful that I cheated on my taxes and robbed my neighbor. Never, it's all regret. And because the choice Moses made, he says, I will choose the people of God over prestige, over power, over popularity, <clears throat> and over position. Would you be willing to do that? You know, when Moses made that choice that day, he invested in two things. And I want you to write this down in your notes. If you invest in these two things, you will have great joy in your journey as a believer. Two things. And these two things that you invest in, they are eternal things. They will never fade away. 
The first thing that Moses invested in was <clears throat> the word of God. The Bible says in Matthew 24 and 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Moses committed his life to invest in the Bible that would never pass away. And he also made a choice to invest in people. You invest in the word and you invest in people who will never pass away. The minute you're born, you, you never cease to exist. And you begin to serve others greater than yourself and you watch how God opens the door for your life and joy in the journey. I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen if you don't invest in the word and people. You might be a believer, but this is what you're gonna look like. You're gonna be a big baby with a bib. And all of your little life, you're gonna be drinking milk and have a little sip that saved you, but you're never gonna enjoy it. You're gonna whine and murmur like they did out in Egypt. A bib. But if you invest in the word of God and you make a commitment to serve others, you can now put on an apron. You're willing to do that? The happy people in life are the ones that are in the word, serving others with an apron to ultimately give God all the glory. Joshua and Moses wrote 221 chapters in the Bible. That's 20% of the word of God. And they invested their life. And you're gonna hear it from Joshua. The courage to stay in the Bible. In fact, I think Moses wrote in Deuteronomy, he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life. That who? That you and your seed, your children, can live. Great choice. Moses not only had a great choice, but he had a great faith that gave birth to a greater purpose. Now remember, Moses made a choice and he had a great faith. This man behind me was watching the whole time for 40 years. John 1.17 says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. And the Bible says in Galatians 1 place, maybe third chapter, it says, the law was a guardian, a guardian until Christ came. It says another place, it is a schoolmaster to drop us off at the cross. Moses understood this. Moses understood that the law is just, it's holy, it's good, it does its purpose. It drops us off at Calvary. And when he stood on that quaking mountain, that day the law was given, the thunder came down and 3,000 people died. When grace and truth came to Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. When the law was written in hard rock and stone, Grace and truth came by a pliable and is written right on our hearts. Moses understood that. Wow. 
And not only did he make a great choice, not only did he have a great faith, but Moses had a great sin. In other words, he's kind of like you and I. But God's grace is greater than that. And I like to think that if Moses would have been able to look down through time, 1,500 years later from that date, and if he would have looked down through time and seen Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, he would have shouted in jubilation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. For the law of sin and death. The law brings death. The law drops you off at Calvary. didn't go one inch past. That's the purpose of the law. And Moses got it. One day in Numbers, the Bible says, Numbers chapter 20, that here they were again complaining about no water. Well, back in Exodus 17, God said one day to Moses, they're complaining about the water, strike the rock. He struck the rock and there was water. And now years later, still out in the hot burning desert, in Numbers chapter 20, they're complaining about no water, probably because he was withholding the water from them because of sin. And he says, Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses was so ticked off, sprinted ahead of God, took that stick, and he beat the rock twice. Moses, you forgot what God said. Why did he punish him? Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that Christ is that rock. And he was smitten once for you and I, but he doesn't need to be smitten again. You speak to him. And because of that, the Bible says he was not able to go into the promised land. Folks, none of us are immune from sin and error. We do it all the time. God didn't reject Moses that day, but sometimes there's consequence when we sin. God will withhold a blessing. We never got to go into the promised land, still in heaven. But I think Moses learned that day. You don't take God's place. The Bible says very clear in John that he must always increase and I must decrease. And he remembered that day in the desert. God still forgives. I think Moses in that desert was looking back to the time when he was out there and he saw Christ in the burning bush. <clears throat> Folks, Christ is always present. He was present at creation. He was present at the parting of the Red Sea. He was present in the burning bush. He was present on Horeb. He was present with Moses when he died on Nebo. He's present with you and I here today. He's always present. Always. 1,500 years after this date right here in the burning bush, he was present with his disciples up there at Caesarea Philippi. And he says, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem to die. But remember, I am the vine. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
I am that I am. Wow. Then one day at 120 years of age, God says, Moses, you're going to die. You're going to go up on Mount Nebo and you're going to die. And I want you to take this stick, this baton, if you please, and I want you to hand it off to a man that I have raised up and he has watched you. You have worked with him for 40 years. I was very impressed with Joshua at Cadiz Barnea. He made the right choice. Joshua was kind of like a Jesus, a great leader, a great man. Why did Moses choose Joshua? Because Joshua loved the word. Why did Moses choose Joshua? Because Joshua loved the Lord. Why did Moses choose Joshua? Because he saw in Joshua a willingness, a willingness to always stand in courage no matter the conflict. And I'm very thankful at this moment we get to hand the baton off to Joshua. Thank you, Gordon. Well, good morning. I, too, want to welcome you here and say it's an honor and a privilege to open God's Word. The year was 2008. It was the Summer Olympics at the Bird's Nest in Beijing, China. It's the biggest event on the biggest stage, the 4x100 meter relay. The U.S. men and women's teams typically heavy favorites to win the event, both dropped the baton in the qualifying rounds and didn't even make the finals. These botched handoffs, they remind our nation that passing the baton can be tricky. After the race, one of the runners, Gail Devers, had this to say, the person receiving the baton has to give a good target. The incoming runner has the eyes, has to get there, look for the target, and put the stick right there. Note what she said. The incoming runner has to look forward. The receiving runner can't look back, but forward. Both runners are looking in the same direction, forward to the future. Dropping the baton impacts the outcome of the future. Today we're going to look at a successful baton pass between Moses and Joshua. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read the first nine verses. Verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you should cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, 
that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua took over leadership of God's people, Israel. After Moses, one of the most important figures in Bible history died. The baton had been passed from one leader to another. In the life of Joshua, we see a leader who was able to fully accomplish the will of God. Joshua was born a slave in Egypt. He spent 40 years in the wilderness of Moses as Moses' faithful assistant. Under Joshua's godly leadership, the Israelites cross over the Jordan River, conquer the land of Canaan, and divide the inheritance to the 12 tribes. And he dies at the age of 110. And the Bible has this to say about Joshua in the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 7. The people of Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. What do we see in Joshua? We see a man who took the baton and ran his leg of the race well. All his days, Israel served the Lord. In Scripture, Joshua is a picture of what a good receiver looks like. Today, we're going to look at three lessons we learn about receiving the baton. On your mark, commands the race director, it's time to begin the race. This phrase means Come to the start line. Line up. Get to your spot. What was the start line for Joshua? At the beginning of the book of Joshua, God's people cross over the river Jordan and they camp at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho. They have entered the land and they're ready to possess it. However, this new generation first has to be circumcised to show they're set apart for God. Now, while they're healing from circumcision, because that's a painful process, They celebrated the first Passover in the new land. And the very next day, the manna ceased, and they ate from the produce of the land. It was here that we find Joshua outside of Jericho, celebrating the greatness of God's gift, entrance into the land, where he encounters the commander of the Lord's army. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says this, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, And behold, a man standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and he said, Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? Sometimes we want to know, is God on our side? Is he with us in what we're doing? Is he blessing my work, my life, my choices? Maybe you've asked it like this. God, what do you want from me? But listen to what he says in verse 14. But he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. What was the response? I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua, I did not come to be for you. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I work for him. I'm on God's side, Joshua. It's time for you to enter my race. Come, get on your mark. What is the race? 
The race is the will of God. It's bigger than our lives. It's bigger than ourselves. We are just runners in his race. It's all about him. It's God's plan. It's God's glory. It's his story. It's history. God's plan is the baton passing plan. It's a plan for people from every nation to one day be united under his throne. His plan starts from before time begins, and his plan never ends. When the commander of the race, the commander of the Lord's army, calls to you on your mark, he's saying, come, line up in my race, get in your lane, and run for me. Many people will spend their whole lives looking for the start line, but never coming to this place. Life is all about God's will. For me, it was an old couch in a dorm room in college. My life was falling apart. And here, God called me to enter his race, to stop living for my will, and to start living for his. So what is the baton? If the race is God's will, the baton is the word of God. It's knowledge of the Holy One. In the race of life, it's making disciples who will be able to pass the baton to the next generation. It's the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. In the life of Joshua, we see God has called him to the start line. Here he has entered God's will, ready to carry the word of God from one generation to the next. Pastor Gordon has been a constant instructor, teacher, and friend in my life. From the first memories I have of him preaching while I sat in the back of a small church, to 15 years of Bible study every Sunday morning, to a discipleship study in the book of Galatians right after I was married. Gordon has faithfully carried this message to me, and you heard it tonight. The word of God will last forever. Read it, study it, meditate on it, know it. Be a DBR, a daily Bible reader. Get set. It's the second command from the race director. Get to your position, get in the blocks, and be ready. Like any good athlete, getting ready requires hours and hours and days of practice. How did Joshua prepare to lead God's people into the land and into battle? Joshua's preparation took form of lessons he learned while in the desert with Moses those 40 years. Today, we're going to look at three of them. First, Joshua strengthened his knees. He learned the importance of intercession. Back in the wilderness, Moses and the people of Israel were attacked by the Amalekites. Moses told Joshua, go fight. And then he went up on the hill and he watched the battle. Here on the hill, whenever Moses had his hands raised with the rod of God in his hand, Israel prevailed. When his hands grew tired and they fell, Amalek prevailed. On this day, Joshua learned a key lesson in the race. The battle is the Lord's. He had to understand where true victory comes from. In the final analysis, Joshua needed to see the power of an interceding leader. As we get set and prepared to run our part in his race, remember the lesson of intercession. Remember to strengthen your knees. Second, Joshua strengthened his arms. He learned the importance of fellowship. In Exodus 24, we come across another lesson that Joshua learned. God invited 70 elders and a specific group of leaders to the mountain of God to worship. 
The event that followed was unprecedented in human history. God passed before men, and they beheld a brightness that seemed like the sun. The shocking part of the story is what happens next. They were called there to worship, and yet the text reveals they saw God, and they did eat and drink. God came, and they had a banquet. Here Joshua saw a picture of a team that honored God. He ate with others. He drank with others. He communed with them in fellowship. Now there is a time for personal time with God, but there's equally a time for team. Believers need to lock arms with other believers. As we get set in preparation for his race, we often think of our individual strengths. We focus on what we need to get better at and how we need to improve. May this lesson remind us that in his race, we are often better if we link arms with other believers. Third, Joshua strengthened his ears. He learned the importance of listening to God's word. In Exodus 32, after the banquet, Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God and receive the Ten Commandments. After watching their leaders disappear into a fiery, burning mountain, the people grow tired, and after 40 days, they sin by building an idol. Before Moses and Joshua come down, God reveals to Moses the fact that the people are in sin. Joshua, on the other hand, hears the commotion in the camp, but he doesn't perceive it properly. He turns and he calls to Joshua in a concerned voice, the people are under attack. This critical error of Joshua was to accept the first explanation that made sense to him. We too often, the first thing that we hear becomes the answer without any further search for the facts. It was clear that without the correction from Moses, Joshua was bent on proceeding on a false notion because his assumption made sense to him. How do we learn discernment? Only by testing what we hear against the word of God. We have to take what we hear and proceed to process it against God's word. In this test, many of us tend to trust our own intuition rather than what God says. These are just a few lessons that Joshua learned in the wilderness. Are your knees, your arms, your ears strengthened? Are you set? Go, shouts the race director. The start of the race is exciting and can set the tone for the entire event. In Joshua, it's no different. Right out of the gate, we get the story of Jericho. In the life and ministry of Joshua, we see a man who ran his leg of the race well. Yet at the start, back at the very beginning in Joshua 1.9, we see this command. In verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. These words are repeated over and over in the book of Joshua. Three times in the first nine verses. Eight times in the life of Joshua, God gives him this command. Be strong and courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. You see, to be strong and courageous in the midst of challenge is an expression of faith. It's an exercise of the will. It's a choice we make. True faith is most of all courageous. Why? Faith requires obedience. It requires action. It demands a right response. It's one thing to say, I believe in God, to say, God, I love you, and not do what he says. It's quite another to have faith and to be strong and courageous and do what God 
says. James says that faith without works is dead. Paul says in Romans that everything that is not of faith is sin. In Hebrews we read that without faith it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. And here in the life of Joshua, God says it like this, only be strong and courageous. So as Joshua prepared to carry the baton of leadership in God's race, right from the start, from the time the gun sounds, he was commanded to be strong and courageous, to have faith. In these first nine verses of chapter one, we see his faith is founded on the promises of God, the word of God, and is accompanied by the presence of God. Joshua, here are my promises for you. In verse 3, every place the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you. That's a promise from God. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That's a promise from God. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. A promise from God. I will not leave you or forsake you. A promise from God. You see, Joshua's faith, his confidence, his strength was in the promises of God. It's not blind faith. It's not trust without knowing. Rather, his faith was founded on the word of God. Joshua is accompanied by the presence of God. Look at verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And again, the Lord is with you wherever you go. Now remember, I will be with you. I will not leave you. Think about it. After 40 years of preparation, 40 years of mentoring, 40 years of training, Moses has died. Joshua takes the baton. What an immense responsibility to lead God's people. But God is good. And he reminds Joshua, I am with you. You're not alone. Everywhere you go, I'll be right there. What's left for him to do? Joshua has the promises of God. He has the presence of God, what's left? Now don't be afraid. Instead, be strong and courageous. Have faith. Do what I've asked. Go run my race. What's left? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Over a hundred times or more in scripture this phrase is used. From Abraham to Moses to Joshua in the Old Testament to Peter and Paul in the New to you and me today. It's the same command. Don't be afraid. Don't be confounded. Don't be alarmed. Don't shrink back in fear. The same requirement in Scripture. Here are my commands. Don't be afraid. Remember, I'm with you. Do them. What does God ask of you? Have faith. Only be strong and courageous. Less than two years ago, I received a call early one morning in a hotel room for my wife. Nate, she said, your dad has died. That call shook me to my core. My dad, my friend, my hero was gone. How could I continue? Fear came knocking at my door. Yet in this moment, God gave me a command. Go. Run. It's time to lead, to take the baton and carry my word to the next generation. Yet even in this command, God's promise remained. I am with you. Now go. Only be strong and courageous. Just have faith. You see, there are no children who are born Christians. Each generation is responsible to carry the baton 
and pass on the faith to the next. We must not let that baton drop. You want to run the race well? Stand firm on the promises of God. Let your faith be firmly rooted in the word of God. Remember, he is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Now go. So where are you? What promise, what command has God given to you? Maybe it's a promise of salvation on your mark. Acts 2.21 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in Romans 10.9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today is the day. Come to the start line. Enter God's race. Maybe yours is a call to live a holy life. Get set. Acts 2 and 42, have you learned to continue daily in the study of his word, in fellowship with other believers, and in prayer and in worship? In 1 Thessalonians 4, it's clear God commands us to live holy lives. It's your turn to run, but first you need to get ready. Have you strengthened your knees, your arms, and your ears? Maybe yours is a call to ministry. Go! Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And as Jesus gives this command, as he was leaving, he finishes with the same promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's your turn to run God's race. Have faith. Take the baton and go. Just as Moses passed the baton on to Joshua, I look over. And I see Pastor Gordon running down the track, carrying the message. Invest your life in the Word of God. Take it and run. The question is, Christian, will you? Pass the baton. On your mark. Get set. Go. Gordon, will you come and pray for us? Father, what a joy it is to open the Bible and to see men and women that had great faith. And Father, there's men and women here today that maybe you spoke to them through the word, on your mark, get set, go. And nudge us, Father, to do better. It's more than saying a name and wearing a necklace. Is standing in faith and making a choice to be daily into your word, submitting to your authority and living the life and allowing the Holy Spirit to energize our lives. Thank you, Father, for these men. Looking forward to next week, too. And may we make the commitment today that I need to read more. I need to serve more. I need to be available more. I need to see, set greater examples for those behind me. And thank you for the baton that you gave through this word to these men. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.